Welcome to the show, and uh, this might be the first time I ever say this, but Stern's Tech Talk presents Debatable, uh, pretty much where we go in, in and break down some of the uh, more controversial news and headlines in the worldwide tech community. So uh, without any further ado, we'll actually just get right into it. And I'm, I'm actually kind of curious, what did you actually think about the EU's new law that all phones should have easily replaceable batteries? I think it's been a long time coming well the funny thing is it's kind of like they're retrofitting their devices yeah because that's something that i mean well okay except for apple that's the only exception well of course yeah samsung um google I'm trying to think back to their motorola i can't recall some of those if they've yeah i can't remember them either i think they might have had um replaceable backs but definitely samsung Motorola themselves did. I don't know if they actually made them for the actual, uh, the Nexus line, I think is what Google had there. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, just the fact that they're asking, they're basically saying there should be no adhesive on the batteries, mm-hmm. no specialized tools to get in. Um, I don't know. This is, this is something that <laughs> we keep referencing them, but this is something that I've, you know, our parents, especially our mom would like. Yeah, oh, of course. She she grew up on, in her smartphone days when she started, she grew up on a Galaxy S5. Yeah, I remember that. So those had, you know, removable backs with the battery, with, with the SD card. Um, So it was much easier back then to replace things and, you know, not have to go through so much trouble just to fix one thing. And I think that's, I mean, for some instances, I I think it really depends, but for the majority of things, it should be a customer that should be able to fix their own stuff. And if they break it, then that's on them. You know, there's no like, you know, Apple makes a thing like say, hey, you can do this. It's fine. Just if you break it, you understand the um, consequences that come with that, you know, but. Yeah, I think my part of my concern is just. How does this affect the build and the rating of those phones? Because how do you accomplish that goal and yet still provide phones that have like IP68 ratings? That is a good point. Yeah. Um, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, you taken away adhesive and they need to have it. It needs to be easily accessible, obviously. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, then you need to have like a hook hinge. On the, this is just me spitballing a hook hinge yeah. on the top of the phone and it just drops down laying flat against the, the back of the phone and it just kind of locks into place. So it'll have like a gasket around the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And then when you, you know, clamp it down and then maybe like you screw in two screws at the bottom, as long as it's not like specialized screws, then you should be okay. Cause that's part of what the EU is saying. Right. Yeah. Then that theoretically that should lock everything thing in place and it should have some sort of ingress protection i think there's ways that yeah like you're saying it can be done but is apple or really any company going to go through the trouble of actually doing that i mean obviously the eu is establishing like hey you know this is going to happen but like i don't know i feel like the technology's there to really make something out of it where people can access that without ruining its integrity but un- unless the companies are actually willing to do the work put in the research and the time and the money. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my, my biggest take on it is just, I think it's great. 
And I think that putting the consumer kind of at the head of the game versus the company, because when you think about it, not being able to replace a a battery because of, you know, its health or whatever, it forces the consumer one of two things, pay money to have the company replace the battery or pay the company for a new model. Right. Yeah. So those are the two options versus paying the money, which is far lower for just the battery and then doing it yourself. Exactly. Because often you're not only paying for parts, but you're paying for labor as well when you're going for like going through Apple with or without Apple care. It kind of depends on the tier and if there's any um, deductible. Mm -hmm. So this is this is obviously full speculation because uh, we're not expecting this until 2027, I think, is at least when we're going to start seeing some changing. Yeah, I was I was thinking it would it would be take a little while, especially since the last time we kind of talked about this whole ordeal of people being able to self. Work repair yeah, self repair. Well, I mean, and that's and that's the thing is like it's not like the companies have been completely ignorant. They've done self repair kits and stuff and they've started to yeah. kind of bring that right. out. But at the same time, um, you know, that's kind of it's kind of up in the air. But um I think the only other thing that I was kind of curious about is just performance and power because does a removable battery technically have less capability than something that's actually in place and it runs through the ribbon cables and stuff like that? Um, and would it have a long-term effect on the components? Because you theoretically have an easier access pulling in and out that battery, which means it's constantly going on and off. Well, maybe. I mean, this this was the issue that we ran across when I dropped my iPod iPod, because um, I was foolish and cracked it. And so JD had to replace it. We bought it. But like um, you touched the two parts of the inner works and it wouldn't work anymore. So I think there needs to be a level of caution when someone goes into that. Um, again, you're, you're taking risks when doing it. So you're fully aware of what happens when you do it. But like, I think there should be full instructions and just here's what you need to do. Be cautious when you're doing it. And then with regards to like, um, would uh, taking out the battery over time, would that have some ramifications? Possibly. I think that if it's just like a lithium battery on its own, um, or maybe if it, was, if it was hooked to the backing almost or something, you just lift the back off and take it off. That way you don't really ruin the battery or something. Well, then you'd have to replace the back. But um, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I think that's pretty much how I think of let me like with my note four, it was very simple. Like you would just take off the plastic back yeah. and you would lift out the battery. Like you wouldn't even have to touch any of the main boards or anything like that. And nine times out of 10 with most of those phones, the main board was flipped over. And some of them even had like a thin piece of like, um, anti-static paper that was covering yeah. any of the boards or whatever, you know? Right. So, th- so I, th- I think, I think that it's always been there. It's just they might have to reconsider and go back to some of those old drawing boards to see how that might be implemented. Um, so it's more of just it's something I never thought that we would go back to or even think about going back. Now, of course, this is EU, so this is going to affect that location. But yeah, right. what's to say, like, who would stop, you know, our own government entities from doing the same thing here in the States? So, right. Yeah. 
So over the past five to six years, a Tesla software hacker has been consistently messing around with the coding inside Tesla's onboard software. In recent attempts, the user Green the Only was able to dig deep and find a driving setting called Elon Mode. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, as most know, Tesla's fully autonomous driving software is still in its beta form, I believe. That's that's for sure. <laughs> even though cons- yeah, even though consumers can shell out like ten to fifteen grand to test out the self-driving software, and many have complained about how it still has quite a ways to go and how it's often very dependent upon the driver's impulses on the steering yeah. wheel. Yeah. Um Elon mode, evidently. It takes a lot of those annoying tendencies away. Far from being perfect, I mean, it's what many of us still have our hopes on as we inch closer to the likes of Will Smith's Audi in the movie iRobot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's... that's. Gosh, when was that movie made? 2005? Oh, okay. I think I watched it once, but it's been a while. Yeah, I actually watched it But I still remember that that scene. Hold on, we we gotta find that out. 2004. Yeah, actually, actually, that that was something that, uh, geez, that was 19 years ago. Man, time flies when you're having fully autonomous cars. Right? So, like, I I was, uh, when I when I actually saw that article, um, I was actually thinking of something similar to that as well, where, where just, uh, you see it on movies, but it's nothing that's ever, like, come even close. I think, I think the closest oh, yeah, no. thing that I've seen as far as autonomous driving is um, Chevy, or I should say GM Super Cruise. Which I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, are you? Not particularly, no. You're Although not really, I've probably you're heard not, of You're it. not really well versed in vehicles anyway. So. No. <laughs> but um yeah, it's it's kind of funny though, just to think about the I guess the not even the fact that it's called Elon mode, but like just knowing that there's more settings to it. And of course you had to assume that there was something hidden between, you know, oh yeah, for sure. Just the, had to be the consumer level. But because um, I know that you well, you don't even own a Tesla, so you wouldn't have much of a say on it. Plus, you'd have to pay the ten to fifteen grand to actually get self. Yeah, I would still have to pay the extra money to be right. Able to get so, this. and that right there is worth a used car in and of itself. So, oh yeah, that's that's about my budget right now. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> so that, it's just, um, but it kind of, and there's one thing that comes to mind is just the fact that Elon's just driving around in his Tesla with a certain mode and just be like, oh. yeah. You know, <laughs> which can, I'm not. I mean, I'm I not, can totally see him doing that. Too. I'm not upset about it. I mean, oh, no, he's, he made it and it's he he put those things in place for the safety of other people, of other people, however annoying it may be. Exactly. Um, and obviously that that technology is going going to grow a lot more. And, you know, the people that work there or and or other corporations even are going to be able to make things that are able to actually work out that way, because. What was it? We talked about it a while back where there's like five levels of self-autonomous. Yes. Yeah, we talked and about like that. And like the fifth level is like fully autonomous. Fully like you don't autonomous. even have to do anything. anything. Um, And that's kind of where eventually I think it'd be futuristic. It'd be it'd be really cool to live in that type of era. How close to the future do you think we are? Um, I'd say give it another 10, 15 years. And I think I think we'll be there. Okay. Lord I'm willing. thinking like maybe seven to ten is my my estimation. I I mean like I think feel like seven is aggressive, but I th- I feel like by 2030, if we don't have it yeah. together, we got some problems. <laughs> well, I mean it just depends. Like we always, you know, maybe ten years ago, we never knew technology of 
I don't know. Vision Pro. <laughs> I was literally just about to say that. Yeah, Vision Pro was gonna be here, like, and it, but it took a lot of time, um, yeah. and effort to do that. And so I think it really just depends on the type of technology. Um, I mean, again, I can't say for sure. I think twenty thirty is probably around where it would be. Well, I mean, it's kind of cool too because you think about it, and you know. Back in the nineties, I was just in the third row of a Dodge Caravan, and I wasn't even thinking yeah. about cars. I know, so, right? Um, Still let alone that. thinking about what company would be the first mass-producing EV maker out there, right? And now you see, like Tesla is the number one EV maker in the country, exactly. But as far as like the software and such, I don't blame people for getting upset because this is something that I feel like Elon has been pushing so much that we feel like it should already be here. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's frustrating, but it's still, I think it's just because we get carried away with what he says. And it's not the first time that people have gotten irritated by him and his personality, but right. um, I think when it, when it comes to driving, that's really where it takes effect. And I mean, when you've had that type of annoyance for like the last, what, five, six, seven years, there's a certain point where you're just like, I can't even handle this anymore. So, yeah, because I mean, it kind of, it, it feel, I feel like it should already have been here because I, yeah, I remember listening I would to this agree. and hearing this years, well, not like decades ago, obviously, but years ago and being like, oh, is that not here yet? Do we not have autonomous driving from Tesla's? Oh, they're there. It's just, you got to pay for the dang thing and it's not even fully. Yeah. So. But like I said, I think the other the other comp competitor would be GM Super Cruise, and I've seen a lot of good things from GM Super Cruise. Um, but that's uh, good. Those are probably not cheap either. <laughs> you want to buy a Cadillac Escalade? Actually, they do put them on some some of the mainstream vehicles out there. <laughs> um, not, I mean, obviously not just EVs, but right, yeah, regular regular uh, combustion engines. But um, yeah, so there you have it on that one. Will the Audi vehicle from iRobot come to us? Well, it definitely won't be Audi. Uh, <laughs> at least not that we know of so intel is actually making changes uh in its branding concerning their processors so a couple things that they're looking into well not that they're even looking into it they're actually going to do is they're doing away with their i in their chip names yeah right i'm, I'm get you already heard of it i'm guessing mm-hmm. then yeah yeah i did uh partially okay um Mainly because, like, on one side, I was like, oh, cool. They're kind of going into a, a new version of themselves almost, which okay. is fine. I don't mind okay. people yeah. changing the names of their stuff. But it's also like, and I'm sure you would agree, it's like, and I don't know if this is their intention, but following, like, mainstream companies like Apple. Yeah. Or what have you. Um, yeah. Everything's ultra now. Everything's super ultra. It's like. Yeah. I th- I I understand the contingency upon trying to get your consumers to buy more stuff because a name is important. I don't discredit that at all. A, a name is going to make or break what you sell. But I also think that if you have multiple companies that use similar names, it just kind of it's unoriginal and it's like doesn't feel right. But well, the good, the good thing here is that. I feel like they didn't necessarily 100% follow, or let's just speculate that. I don't feel like they 100% followed Apple specifically. No, yeah. Because their lineup is much different. Apple uses their series as generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Intel uses them as consumer levels. Yeah. So 
that I feel like is good. Um, one of the things that was notated in the article, and I'll actually, you know, highlight it, is that he was saying, well, how would you know the difference between, let's say, a Core 5 Ultra? Because I, I, we didn't actually fully mention this, but they're doing away with the I, and then they're also going to have two series. So they're going to have the regular Core 3, 5, 7, 9s, and then they're going to have the, uh, I can't remember if it's Ultra Core it's a seven core ultra or something like that. Seven, something like that. So they're going to add the ultra in there, which shock, shock. Um, and that's what Riley was referencing. So there's that aspect of it. But the question was, is what would be more powerful, ultra core five or a core seven? See? Yeah, that's that's kind of the problem. Because like that's that's the how I ran through it in my mind with Apple, for example. I'm not I'm not saying the same thing, obviously, here, but no, but like iPhone 14 is the iPhone 13 Pro. And yes. similar aspects, obviously, you have one extra camera. But in, like, the inner works, it's basically the same thing. Um, see, I think that kind of has an issue. And that's where I think a lot of companies have that kind of type of problem. Um, just with the the way that they have their stepping ladders. It's like, well, this pre-registration, basically the same thing this one does. And that dra- that draws away a lot of people that are, like, kind of on the fence with Apple. Or just any company in general. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is. Um, I'm okay with it. I'm. It's. I mean, it's not. I mean, yeah. Obviously, we have to be okay. With it. We can't change it. But I mean, as far as just the opinion of it, okay. Yeah, because I was kind of curious. I mean, I. I know that we we tend to to look at Apple more than we do at Intel, just because their numbers, or at least what they're advertising seems to be a lot more impressive, and even some of their testings, you know, and from the consumer testings that that people have seen is definitely impressive yeah right but um i guess the thing that bothered me is that core i3 core i5 i felt like that was their staple i felt like that was something that you like you could latch on to and be like oh okay i know you know i'm I'm comfortable with that mm-hmm. now changing the name you got to adapt and things happen so it's not like you can always you know hold on to that and maybe that's what they're trying to do and they're trying to move away from that and they're trying to improve their processing power and such and maybe this is what's going to help them do that in a psychological aspect Okay, you know how Mark Mark has talked about the whole stepping ladder with Apple? Yeah. Maybe that's what they're trying to do here. You have five core. Oh yeah. Then a five core ultra. Well, that's basically the same as like the seven core. Okay, well then I'll just upgrade that. Oh wait, there's a seven core ult. I mean it's just that's they're a theory. blending the lines there. Yeah, they're making Yeah, blend it- I think, yeah. And again, that's like I just popped in my head because I was like, I know we talked about that. And I haven't really seen a whole lot of other companies do that. I don't think really Samsung does that a whole lot, mainly because they don't have as much verse. They don't have, they don't, the, the, basically they, their biggest thing, their biggest uh, advertisement is colors and stuff like that. Yeah, because right. they really don't hit you with a whole lot of tier levels. I think for the most part, like even if you look at their folds, I think it's 256 and then 512. Yeah. There might be a terabyte in there if I'm not mistaken. But I, think I mean, there's one in the new But I feel, like, I feel like as far as the pricing, plus the fact that they're always is on discount. There's oh you can always find deals on right them. yeah Whereas Apple it's like good luck <laughs> but um the other yeah. thing that Intel is doing away with is the generation labels this is mm-hmm. one that actually really really gets me because I always like to know right away what generation is in that laptop yep same that bothers me um so if you were to look at your laptop right now being that if it is Intel inside you should see a sticker if you haven't already removed it. That tells you what generation chip it is from Intel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they'll no longer at- offer that. Um, 
all the laptops I own, even my old HP, will tell me what generation it is. Yeah, I still have my sticker. And you, you still have your sticker. Yep, I haven't taken it so, off. And I love that part because that's another differentiation between how old is it? How long is it going to be supported? Uh, it kind of, it almost gives you sort of a timeline of, oh, would this be compatible with Windows 10? Would it be right. Windows 11? Yeah. Stuff like that jumps into your head. Now, you can still tell whether or not what generation it is, but you would have to go into the specs like on Best Buy or something like that where it'd be notated and, and such. So that's not necessarily a horrible thing. Or you'd have to go into DXDIAC for some of you nerds out there um, yeah. to determine it. And their model number stays the same and stuff like that. That that scheming, it works. And that's a nerdy part of me that enjoys seeing what's in the computer. Right, yeah. Because the first number you have is the generation. Mm-hmm. And then the second number is kind of like the series. So if you had like a uh, 8750H, then the 8 would be 8th generation. 750 would be the actual series. So you know that it's the higher you get to 1,000, the better it is. Right, yeah. And then the last letter kind of uh, denotes what class it is and what performance you should expect out of it. So mine being an H means it's a high performance. Of course. So <laughs> um, if you were to like say it's a K, then immediately, you know, that's no longer a, a mobile. That's a desktop class. So if you have a K in your laptop, that's wrong. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So, it's not very okay. <laughs> exactly. So that I appreciate they're still sticking to that because for us who really care, we should never have that removed. Yeah, I agree. And if they if they change their naming scheme, then well, I guess we'll have to adapt to that. But I just felt like that is that is the way to go because that is something that we've gotten used to and we know, you know. But as far as being on the stickers, I don't know. I just felt like that is something. It's always been a staple. Yeah, it's just stuff like that where, like, did you really have to change that? I mean, I just, I don't know, because that part, that's that's where, that's where they kind of veered away from Apple. Because mm-hmm. it's, no it's no longer a generational thing. It's just, this is what we offer. And, of course, this first time that it's coming up is going to be easy because it's the first time they're removing it and it's the first time they're no longer having I in their model names. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's fine. But once you start, you know, year after year after year, that's when it's going to be annoying for me because I'm like, uh, the simplicity is gone. <laughs> so I, I don't know. And like I said, I, it's going to be on online stores and stuff and you're going to be able to, you should be able to figure out what generation it is, but we'll have to, we'll have to see how that works out. I, I definitely have some mixed feelings on it. I, I enjoy the new and it's going to be cool to kind of see how that's depicted, how it's advertised and such like that. But I definitely know there's going to be some drawbacks to it, at least from my experience. Thankfully, I don't go out and buy a laptop as often as I buy a phone. But um, <laughs> yeah, that'd be kind of weird. That'd be financially unstable, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would. So Apple removing the ability to finance iPhones. Oh yeah, that's right. They aren't precarrier activated models. That's stupid. <laughs> I don't even have another. Okay, you're not a fan phone. of it. All right, I guess that's clear. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, no, I'm not, I'm not a fan of it either. So I, for, to kind of break that down, basically that means that if, if you want the luxury of being able to pay off the phone in monthly installments using your Apple card, you would have to select your carrier as part of the selection options when choosing your model on their site. So why they're doing that? Uh, I don't know. 
It's definitely, I was thinking about it while I was reading it, and I think it's definitely more of a, not Apple to consumer, but Apple to service. So it's like they're in cahoots almost. Yes. Making good deals, you know, getting on their good sides, that kind of thing. I don't know, man. It's just. Yeah, it's, it's, I agree with you because the option to be able to finance an unlocked phone for me is a big time advantage. And they know that. And they know that um, because right now we're on the iPhone upgrade plan with T-Mobile. Will I continue to do that? Probably not. <laughs> it's, it's nice to have, but honestly, I don't like the fact that I'm, you know, in that. Although according to this, you might have to. Yes. According to this, it's changed. I might have to be stuck with that because if I do want financing, I'd have to go through a carrier and that just, and I mean, I don't know. Does it really, I guess my question is just to play the devil's advocate here. What are you necessarily losing? Because you can still finance through Apple Card. You would just have to pick a carrier selected, you know, pre-activated. Right. I guess the question is, is are you okay with that? And the other thing is, is I'm assuming that you would have to pay off the phone before you can switch to another carrier, possibly. I I was looking up for Verizon because they had a recent deal where if you bought a new line, you got a free iPhone 14 on them. Oh, okay. And their whole policy is after 60 days, they'll remove the locked... Yes. Carrier ability from it. So that's not necessarily where the issue I have with it. I think it's more of just losing an option that I think worked for a lot of people. And it's also like if you do this, I think you have carriers that can just take advantage of that as well. I mean, if they're really like, you know, like I said, getting on each other's good side and stuff like that, you could have like T-Mobile just go ahead and upcharge a little bit more than they should be or something like that. Um, because, well, that's the only way you can finance a phone uh, right. or, or you just save up for one. But I mean, in this day and age, it's hard to kind of do that kind of stuff because, you know, they're you, so expensive and you already income. have your own expenses and bills to pay and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I'm thinking about. It. Again, I don't have any evidence to back up that claim that like, oh, it's a whole conspiracy theory with T-Mobile and everyone. But like it just it just seems that way from a consumer standpoint, you know? Yeah. And I think the other thing is, is like because this was my this was my scenario. Two years ago, it was for Father's Day and Mother's Day. I bought my parents an iPhone 11. Mm-hmm. It was unlocked. I financed it. Yeah, right. I didn't have to select any carriers. I didn't have to worry about maybe them getting a notification because, you know, how does that process go? Obviously, it has to go through your carrier account. It's for your phone number. Yeah. Right. So yep. for it to be pre-activated. Um, and that was great. It was very convenient. Um it worked out perfectly for me because I got to surprise them without any problems and they never, I was like, obviously they never saw it coming. So it's just things like that where you're like, Oh man, I'm kind of losing out on that part. But I just thought of something, you know how Apple for this 14 lineup, they got rid of a SIM card and had you only do an eSIM. Yeah. You think that might be connected to this whole thing of just like, Oh yeah. Yeah, because now you can't even can't even switch it on your own. You have to; it just has to be transferred. Yeah, and I th- I think uh, that's a very good point. That that's another push because it allows the carrier to have less to worry about with in store adjustments from customers. Yeah, right. So there's that aspect to it. Very 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 good point. Um, which we were against that from the beginning. Oh, totally. I hate. E-SIM. I'm okay with it being an option, but I'm not okay with being limited to limited it. Limited to it. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Having, having eSIM there is nice. 
um, once customer services get things figured out and all the issues ironed out, it probably could be very easy to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But for us who are testing out devices, especially with Apple, it is a pain in the butt because I constantly have to go and, well, now that T-Mobile, I don't know if T-Mobile's gotten back into the habit of actually letting the customer do it. But if they didn't, then I would actually have to go to a T-Mobile store, have them do the activation. And it is just an absolute It's overbearing. I hate it. It's tedious. When they did the self-activation, even this was in the beginning when the iPhone iPhone 14 came out. That worked out great because Mm -hmm. I got to do it online. I was at home. I didn't have a problem. Right. If I test another phone that doesn't have eSIM, which there's very few left out there, I'd be surprised if there was over like five models, yeah, um, then that would be a problem. But outside of that, you know, switching from eSIM to eSIM shouldn't be that complicated. I think right now it's the platform issue between Apple, between iOS and Android. So it makes people, it deters people from wanting to switch to a different phone. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. So I don't, have to, I don't have to go through that headache. But then again, if you really hate that company that much, you'll do whatever you can to get out of that dang oh, phone. Oh, absolutely. I will. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I'm very stubborn when it comes to that crap. Yes. <laughs> I don't like being pushed around. I don't like nope. being manip- manipulated. It's a pain in the butt. I'm not, so. not doing that. No. Nope. We always like to get on Apple's case. Always. Always. But um, we love the company. For, but yeah. For some, for some, this may not be a big deal at all. They're probably just thinking, oh, it's just, I just have to select my carrier now if I want to finance. But at the same time, I felt like it was a nice advantage to have. So yeah, exactly. To each their own. So Microsoft is doing away with the mail and calendar app on Windows 11. Uh, this is going to be taking place this fall. Uh, however, it's not in favor of another app like Outlook, which kind of got on my nerves. Uh, rather, people would be prompted to use the web-based version of Outlook, um, which has limited features that don't even include multiple account logins, such as the full-fledged Outlook program offers in their MS suite. So my first question is, is, do you think it's a good move? I mean, are they on the right track or am I maybe just being a little bit too more too judgmental on this? I feel like there's simplicity and more efficiency if you have separate apps like that instead of having to go online, sign into your accounts. And you never know because sometimes you may actually have to verify your account again and put your phone number in or not your phone number, but um, put a code through your phone number and again, or you can just stay signed in, but still like if you yeah, have the TFA. That. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's not like a, oh goodness, I hate this. I don't think it's a deal breaker. It's no, just, it's, it's, it's one of those like little simple things. It's like makes life a little easier every day, you know? Yeah. It's, but it's, I mean, and I don't really use, I like at work, I use Outlook all the time for sending emails to my boss or coworker or something. Um, and the only calendar app I use is on my iPhone. So for me, it's not, not a huge thing, but yeah. Yeah. I guess I just feel like if I were to break this down, I don't necessarily think that the mail app and the calendar app, well, we'll just start, we'll just say the mail app for sure was all that great. It was a shell app. It was very basic, but it did provide some decent features. Simplistic. It was simplistic. Yeah. My thing is, is I really just feel like Outlook should just be generally available and not have to be part of a suite. I mean, I get that it's part of a suite. Yes. It's just. I agree. I, it's, 
I mean, look at look at Apple. They have their mail app. It's on their iPhone. It's on their Mac. Doesn't you don't have to pay anything. for it. It comes with the software. <laughs> yeah, I know. So exactly. And actually, to throw that into additional context, so are all their other products. Yeah. Same with Google. You got uh, was it Pages for Apple? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have Keynote and um, Numbers. So Pages, Numbers, and Keynote. Numbers is like Excel. Yeah. So there's that. And then, of course, you have Google Docs, Google Sheets. Um, I can't remember the other one. But uh, yeah, so and all that stuff is just it's there for people to use. With Microsoft, you have to pay for suites. Yeah. For PowerPoint, Excel, Word, uh, Outlook. So I just always felt like at least the mail app should be offered. Yeah, because that's I mean, you're that's already something- paying for the laptop. And for some who are building on their computer, you're already paying for Windows. Now, yeah, and playing devil's advocate here, maybe just a little bit, it may have something to do with, like, cloud data protection or stuff like that, being able to utilize a little. And that's probably what they give you, because when you get a suite, you do get a lot of storage and cloud storage. Um, And maybe that's just part of the mail app. But still, like, I think there should at least be an option if you're just using it just to send and receive emails. Like, come on. I don't I don't need to save emails to a cloud necessarily. And if I do, then I can just upgrade the storage. Yeah. I think if you gave people that option, you might see a lot more income that you're getting. And it's I mean, look at look at us. We we use a mail app, but we also subscribe to Apple One for yeah, two terabytes of storage. Exactly. So it's all about options and kind of putting the user in 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 the power seat. So marketing, marketing, marketing. Yeah, so there's that. And I think the other thing that I will say towards uh, Microsoft's advantage is, in theory, it's not much different than Google, though. You have to go to the web, you have to go to Gmail, and you have to log in. So there's that aspect to it. Yeah, I mean, it's that still same concept, although I feel like the sign-in is a little more simplistic because you're using Google. I mean, it's... Yes. Um, it's, yeah, because I mean, you've already logged into your profile. It's already you know embedded yeah, it's just into right the there. browser. Well, especially if you're using Chrome, um, or even Edge. You do, and you do have that um, that little tab bar at the top right where you click it, and then just hit Gmail anyway. Right. So I mean, that it's still a quicker. And again, these are first world problems, people. Like, yeah, because Elon mode is not a first world problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. But. Um, yeah, the basic question is this, was this a good move? Um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, we're, we're definitely, you know, micro dissecting this. But nevertheless, that will just about do it for uh, this week's episode of Debatable. Uh, we certainly hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, we will definitely continue to uh, upload these and kind of just get break down some more specifics on uh, the topics we delve into. Sometimes we'll regurgitate what we kind of came out with on Wednesdays. Which is always annoying. Like Reddit. Yeah. But uh, that one that one we really... We really dug into. After that after that episode, we were like, man, I really wish we would have saved that one because that was so... I really wish I would have read it later. And on that note, this is JD and Riley signing off. Peace out. <laughs>